are about is defending the faith. And really, every Christian is called to be an apologist. God calls us to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us and to do so uh, with gentleness and with respect. And so at our ministry at Watchman Fellowship, what we do is we train and equip Christians uh, how to defend the faith, how to have answers for the hope that is in us. And we spo- our ministry focuses specifically in the area of new religious movements, alternative faiths, cults, the occult. We have outreach in the area of things like Scientology, Wicca, witchcraft, uh, counterfeit Christianity like Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Mormonism. Uh, we reach out to those of other faiths, uh, war religions like Islam, and, and try to give answers for the reason of the hope that is in us and to train Christians and equip them to do exactly that. How many of you have had the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door before? Most of you have. Okay, there's one or two that haven't. See me afterwards, give me your name, I'll make sure they come see you too. You know there's a better way to reach that Jehovah's Witness than by having your dog attack them or by uh, wetting them with the hose. And people in other faiths and religions are not our enemies. They're our friends, they're our neighbors, or in some of our cases, we're talking about our family. I I myself was born and raised a Mormon fourth generation, and um, uh, many of my family are still Latter-day Saints. And they're not our enemies, this is our mission field. And with a little equipping and training, we can do a great job, I think, on being able to share our faith with people of, of other religions, people of other faiths. And uh, that's what I want to address today and talk about an Advent conspiracy. Advent is the coming. You know, we're looking now for the second Advent or the second coming, but the first coming is what we celebrate this time of year at Christmas. Uh, but there's a lot of controversy around it. The title of my message today, I want to talk about Stranger in the Manger. Who was the child that was born at Bethlehem that we're celebrating the month of December. So, uh, stranger in the manger. And the question of this morning is this, what child is this? Now, there's a lot of distractions at Christmas time, and we think sometimes about gift-giving and family, and sometimes that can degrade into commercialism and all kinds of different uh, uh, detours of of our faith. But really, the, the key of Christmas, of the Advent season, is to focus on Jesus Christ and who he was. It was in 1865 that William Chatterling Dix uh, wrote the poem, which was later became the um, Christmas carol we all love called What Child Is This? And he was actually an insurance naval, uh, uh, he, he ran a, a naval insurance company out of Scotland, but he was struck with a uh, terrible disease, life-threatening disease. He's bedridden And in great discouragement, depression really, but at the middle of this lowest point in his life, he penned those words, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. So what child is this? And although the the Christmas carol addresses it, and there's been 2,000 years of talk about it. It's still a matter of controversy and even conspiracy, even this December of 2012. Turning your Bibles, if you will, to the uh, scriptural account in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The shepherds and the angels. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they were made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and, and seen as it had been told unto them. This is the account of the baby in the manger. How many of you have nativity sets? You have the same, this, the same thing pictured graphically. And for 2,000 years, we've been celebrating the birth of Christ. But who was Christ? Was he the very Son of God? Was he God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us? Or was he merely a great teacher? Or may, maybe just a prophet? Was he the Christ, the King? Or was there a stranger in the manger? Now, our ministry focuses, I shared, on other religions and faiths, and it's interesting to look at other faiths and what they think about happened at Bethlehem. In fact, uh, I've written a book with the help of my staff called The Concise Guide to Today's Religions and Spirituality. And we have in the book uh, over uh, 1,700 cults, occult groups, war religions, controversial doctrines, practices. And you'd probably find 1,700 different answers to the question, who was it that was born at Bethlehem? And so what I did is I just... Uh, looking at the differences, I think the division line comes between those who follow the word of God and believe that Jesus is in fact God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, the creator of all things, who was born in that stable, born in the manger. And the other groups, the other religions that would, would teach that Jesus was a created being. So I wanted to pick a few examples for you and kind of show you how those differences work. And if you have an outline... I want to encourage you to fill in the blanks. Number one in your outline is the created Christ. You see, the alternative, the stranger in the manger, is religions will often say it was actually not the creator born at Bethlehem, but a creature, a created being. What kind of creature? Well, let's talk first of all in your outline, A, the watchtower. The watchtower teaches that Christ is not the creator. Christ is actually the angel Michael. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jehovah God was all alone. And one day in eternity past, Jehovah creates an angel and he names the angel Michael. They say it was that angel who's later born at Bethlehem and becomes the man Jesus. It was the angel, they say, Michael, that was in the manger. 
Not God in the flesh. Not Emmanuel, God with us. That angel becomes a, a man, a good man. He was a perfect man. But he was only a man. He was never God. They teach that the angel Michael uh, died. They, they believe Jesus died not on a cross, but on a stake or a pole with both hands over his head. And after his death on the stake, his body was placed in the tomb and was never, he, Jesus, they say, was never raised bodily from the dead. He rose again, they say, but only as an invisible, life-giving spirit. Let me quote to you from one of the Jehovah's Witness books, The Truth Shall Make You Free, page 49. They write, Being the only begotten Son of God and the firstborn of every creature, the Word, that's, that's Jesus, the Word would be a prince among all other, look at that, all other what? Creatures. See, they would say Jesus is not the creator of all things, that all things were made by him. He's not God who made all things in the flesh, but he himself created. He's a creature created. It goes on to say, in this office he bore another name in heaven, which name is Michael. It means who is like God. Not God, but similar to God. Or godly, but not God that uh, created Jesus. And so they believe Jesus never rose bodily from the dead. Now, when you look at the, no matter how much value you put on Jesus as a great teacher or even as an angel, if you look at the incarnation, the word incarnation has the idea that God was made flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel. But you say that was not God, that was just a creature, it was just an angel. Well, you end up with a stranger in the manger. This is not the, the very God made flesh that's talked about in the scriptures. Another example would be Mormonism. Now, I was born and raised a Latter-day Saint, fourth generation. I was Mormon. I, I'd love to come back later maybe and tell you that story from Mormonism to Christianity. But be in your outline, Mormonism, they teach that Christ is not the only begotten Son of God. As a Latter-day Saint, I was taught that God, our Heavenly Father, is actually married. So in Mormonism, you have Heavenly Father, but you've also got his wife, uh, Heavenly Mother. You know, you've got God and you've got uh, Mrs. God. Okay, I know you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, where's that in the Bible? Where's it have Mrs. God in the Bible? Well, um, this doesn't come from the Bible, obviously. In the Bible, God is not married. You know, technically in the Bible, God's not even dating anybody. So, you know, where's this coming from? One of the classic flaws of counterfeit Christianity is they will teach you to look outside the Bible for inspired truth. So I was taught as a Mormon that the Bible was God's word, but that the Bible has not been translated correctly. But that's okay. God loved us so much, he gave us another scripture called the Book of Mormon. And we also have Latter-day scriptures like the uh, Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. And uh, living apostles and prophets who can give us all kinds of important truth not found in the Bible. So I, was, I believe that God was married. And uh, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother have... Lots of begotten sons and daughters, not millions, actually billions. That Jesus was one of the sons of Heavenly Father, but not the only begotten son. There are many. In fact, I was told that two of our older brothers both wanted to be our Savior. Jesus came forth and offered to be the Savior of mankind, but so did his spirit brother named Lucifer. I was taught that they were brothers, and Jesus was chosen to be the Savior. So there's a problem with the identity. It's not the only begotten son of God that's born at Bethlehem. It's one of billions of begotten sons and daughters, for that matter, of God who's born. That's, that's a stranger in the manger. What really happened at Bethlehem? 
Now, not only do the Latter-day Saints have an issue when it comes to, um, when it comes to uh, the identity of Christ, but even the vicinity of Christ. It's interesting that in the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon talks about the birth of Christ. And I want to read to you from the Book of Mormon, Book of Alma. This is a kind of a test. Uh, did they tell you there's going to be a test? There's going to be a test. Raise your hand if you see a problem with this prophecy in the Book of Mormon. It's a prophecy about the coming of Christ. And it says, And behold, he, this is Jesus, shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers, she being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel. Anybody see a problem with that? What's the problem? Not capitalized? Okay, well, that, that, that's an issue. I didn't, I didn't see that problem. That's, that's good. Yeah, I'm looking for the vicinity, not just the identity, but also the vicinity. Wasn't Jesus born where? At Bethlehem, not at Jerusalem. Now, that, I think that's a mistake in the Book of Mormon. Now, it's interesting that uh, the, the, you know, the, the Bible is very clear about the coming of Christ. In the Book of Micah, it makes it clear that Jesus will be born at Bethlehem, not at Jerusalem. So do we have a mistake here in the Book of Mormon? Well, one of the DVDs that we have for witnessing the Latter-day Saints to share the gospel with Mormons uh, talks about the reliability of the Book of Mormon as compared to the Bible. And uh, uh, there's a, a DVD that we have called The Bible versus Joseph Smith. And in that, uh, the, uh, one of the things I like about it is actually a Mormon and a Christian in dialogue. These are not actors, a real Mormon, real Christian. And they're trying to establish the question about what happened in Bethlehem, or was it Jerusalem? And what hap who was Jesus? And so uh, they, the, the video shot mostly in, in uh, Israel, and they, they answer the question, is the, is the Bible really reliable when it comes to the historical facts it presents, or is the Book of Mormon actually more reliable in these things? I've got a little video clip I'd like to show you. This might give you an idea of how you would use this even in a witnessing situation uh, with a Latter-day Saint or Mormon. Uh, this is from the Bible versus Joseph Smith. Let's watch this video. Apparently we have a problem with the video, but, but, but basically what happens is the, the Mormon, uh, they do know that Jesus was born at Bethlehem. At, at, um, uh, at Christmas time, they sing the same Christmas carol that you, we do, O Little Town of Jerusalem. No, they got me saying it now. O Little Town of Bethlehem, just like we do. And there is some very good historical evidence. You have uh, even Jewish archaeologists uh, who don't believe, uh, don't believe in the New Testament. They know that Jesus was born at Bethlehem, not at Jerusalem. So it's a great way you can actually share uh, and witness to a Latter-day Saint over the issue, not just the identity of Christ, but the vicinity of Christ. Where was Jesus born? Senior outline, let me talk about Islam for just a, a second. Islam... Uh, they would teach that Christ was only a prophet. Now, it's amazing that there is some commonality and, and a lot of respect Muslims have for Jesus. In fact, when you're starting a dialogue around Christmas time with a Muslim, it's a great way of opening the door because they believe a lot of the same things we do about Bethlehem. They agree that Jesus was born at Bethlehem. This is in the Quran. Uh, they actually even believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. So they have that in common with us. Now, unfortunately, they believe that Jesus did not die on a cross and that he was not the Son of God. In fact, that's the, uh, the ultimate sin called shirk in Islam is to say that God, Allah, could even have a son or that he could either begat or be begotten. And so they, 
Well, in fact, let me read to you from the Quran if I can. This is from one of the most famous passages in the Quran, Surah or chapter 112, verses 1 through 4. The Quran says, Say he is Allah, the one and only, Allah, the eternal absolute. He begetteth not, nor is he begotten, and there is none like unto him. So they would say Jesus cannot be the Son of God. They would say he's a great prophet. Uh, he was actually even the Messiah. They will agree with that with us. But they, it, when it comes down to the real identity of Jesus Christ, they would say that the, the one who was born at Bethlehem, even though virgin born, they would argue was not the creator of all things, but he himself was created. And so you have that division. And one more example of the created Christ, and this is kind of a new one in the book, is uh, Growing in Grace, Crescendo in Gracias, the Spanish language name. It comes out of Puerto Rico, but it's now headquartered in South Florida. The leader of the group is a man named Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. And he believes that he is the second coming of Christ. And so Christ has already returned, if you're taking notes in your outline, Christ has already returned in the form of Jesus de Miranda. Now, interestingly, there's a great article on CNN's website about this guy. He has tens of thousands of followers, and he has tattooed 666 on his body. And he's recommending his followers tattoo the number 666 on their body. And he claims that he is two things. He says he's both the Christ, but he's also, he says, the Antichrist. And I'm thinking, well, you know, at least he's half right. That's what I'm kind of thinking on that. But you have, again, a, a, and we could go through hundreds of examples, but when it comes to the controversy or even conspiracy of the Advent, one of the questions you don't want to get off a track of is the question of not just the babe at Bethlehem, not just the child in the manger, but the issue. This is what we need to be teaching our children. This is what we need to be testifying to our world at this time of year. This is what our thoughts need to be on. It wasn't just a prophet born at Bethlehem, not just a good man or a a great teacher. This was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the creator of all things. In fact, let's go to the scriptures. We talked about examples of the uh, crea uh, the uh, created Christ, two in your outline. Let's go to uh, what the Bible talks about, the creator Christ. Christ is the creator of all things. And so uh, looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, verse 16, for by him all things were created. Now, if all things were created by Jesus, how could he be created? How could he create himself? He has to be God to create all things, it says, uh, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for who? For him. And so we have the testimony of scriptures that Jesus is not a creature. He's not created. He himself is the creator. Of course, this ties Colossians back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord. This is Isaiah 44, 24. Isaiah 44. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So in the New Testament, we find that Jesus creates all things. The Old Testament, we see God is the one who created all things with no help. No one needed to assist him. He created the all things. And, of course, the classic passage 
uh, on, this, on the subject of who Jesus is is going to be John 1.1. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we have the clear testimony of Scripture that Jesus is the creator of all things. He's God. And so this, was, this is what makes the Advent so unique in history. This is why we divide all of human history by before Christ and after Christ. Because God himself came down. And it was God, Emmanuel, God with us in that manger. Well, three in your outline, I want to talk about the controversy of Christ. The controversy. Now, of course, like I said, today it's a hot issue, very controversial. But really, the controversy goes back almost to the beginning. And in the early church, uh, there were all kinds of false uh, teachers that would rise up. They would teach wrong things about Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, the Apostle Paul warns about those who would preach another Jesus or a different Jesus than the Creator Christ talked about in Scripture, the Creator of all things. The controversy in the early days of Christianity, the first couple of centuries, came to a head, uh, this is A in your outline, with the controversy uh, Athanasius versus Arius. In one corner you got Athanasius, bishop, Christian leader in North Africa, versus Arius. Arius was a presbyter or an elder in that same area. And Arius was a false teacher. And Arius came to the conclusion that Jesus himself was not the creator of all things. He himself was created being. He was a good man. He was like God. He was godly, but he was not God. And so Athanasius, who was a champion of orthodox, orthodoxy of the Bible, went back and forth with, the, with Arius, the, uh, the presbyter, the bishop. Well, it finally came to a head. This is A, the controversy in your outline. It came to a head, B in your outline, with something called the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Hugely important meeting. Constantine, the emperor of the time, uh, did not want uh, the Christians to be... Uh, uh, the, the controversy to affect all of Christianity. So he suggested that the Christian leaders get together. They did in Nicaea for an important council. Now, even today, people talk about the Council of Nicaea. And you'll hear people like Oprah tell you, well, that's where they decided which books were going to be in the Bible and all the good gospels got taken out. That's not what happened at the Council of Nicaea. It wasn't about what Bible, what scriptures are, or, or what uh, books are the Bible. It was all about who is Jesus. And there was others like Dan Brown, the novelist who uh, wrote The Da Vinci Code. He'll say, oh, well, this whole controversy at Nicaea, it was very, very close. The vote between the bishops that were there, it was very close. That's absolutely wrong. Only, only about three bishops did not sign the final conclusion, sided with Arius. The vast majority of all the Christian leaders agreed that Jesus is the creator of all things. Now, the classic argument is all the Christian leaders got together for this important council, the controversy. It came down to one word and actually one letter. The Nicene Creed used the Greek word homoousia, which means uh, same substance. Well, Arius did not want to use that word. He wanted to use homoousia, which has an I added to it. Now, one means 
identical in substance, where Arius wanted to add one letter I, which makes it to be similar to, but not the same substance. Similar, not the same. Is Jesus the same substance as God, or simply similar to God? It was one letter that made the difference in the final analysis. One letter I. In Greek, it's the alphabet letter iota. Have you ever heard somebody say, I don't care one iota about that. That's what it goes back to. It goes back to this controversy. Well, the iota was huge for these people. Because if you, take, if you put the iota in the word, it makes Jesus not the creator of all things. He's simply godly. He becomes a creature. So were they going to insert the letter I or were they going to leave the letter out? Well, it all comes down to this council of Nicaea. Well, the main champion was, was Arius. He was the very, very um, articulate defender of the biblical doctrine that Jesus is God in the flesh. But there were others. Uh, in fact, one of them was the Bishop of Myra, also a champion of orthodoxy, very upset at Arius and the false teachers of that day. The Bishop of Myra was Nicholas, Nicholas of Myra, which is in modern-day Turkey. He was one of the bishops there. He got so upset, tradition tells us, that the bishop of Myra, Nicholas, actually went up and struck Arius. Now, I don't know if he said, I'm sorry about that, like we saw on the video there, but he actually struck him. And uh, Nicholas, uh, later known as Saint Nicholas, or jolly old Saint Nick, was one of the backgrounds from where we get the story of Santa Claus. He was one of the defenders of orthodoxy. Of course, that day he wasn't very jolly, though, was he? So this all goes back historically. Well, let me tell you, take you, tell you what happened on this. When it came down to the vote, 99% of the bishops that were there, the leader, church leaders that were there, agreed that this is the confession of Scripture. This is who Jesus is. And they came up with the Nicene Creed. And let me just read it to you. Here it is. We believe... In one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Do you see, see the language that they're using and why? It's to defeat the idea of this created Jesus. Being one substance with the Father, and there's that word substance, there's your missing iota. The same substance, not similar, but the same. Being one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down. This is the incarnation. This is the Advent. This is what happened that we celebrate at that manger 2,000 years ago. And was incarnate. That means to be made flesh. And was made man. He suffered and on the third day rose again and ascended to heaven. And from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. This became known as the Council of Nicaea, the Confession of Orthodoxy. It simply puts in one place... What the Old and New Testament both teach about Jesus being Lord and being God. And you say, well, doesn't Jesus say the Father is greater than I? Absolutely. When he became flesh and dwelt among us, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, subordinates himself to the Father. That does not mean he's not equal. 
An illustration I sometimes like to use with a Jehovah's Witness is who is greater? Which, which Bush is greater? President Bush the father or President Bush the son? Now you could argue that the father was greater in the 1980s, early 90s rather, because he becomes what? He's the um, President of the United States. Whereas his son at that time simply owned a baseball team. But then later on, the son, George W. Bush, becomes president. Then you could argue the father, the son is greater than the father because now the son is the president of the United States. But see, at both times, both men were equally human. One doesn't become more human or less human. They're both equally human. You say, well, anytime you, su- you submit yourself to someone, you become inferior to that person. Absolutely not. The Bible says that wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Does that make you inferior to your husband? And all people are told to be in submission to those in higher power, government authorities. That doesn't mean that they're more human than we are or we're less human than they are. We are equally human in the sight of God. God is manifest in three persons eternally. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, not three. Three persons, not one. God in the flesh is Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at the Incarnation. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you didn't just send a messenger or a prophet. You didn't just have an angel become flesh to dwell among us. But you came yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. And that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins, to be born of a virgin at Bethlehem, and to be God, very God of very God. Father, help us at this time of Christmas as we can become so busy with the celebrations and our time of family and in the holiday spirit that we help us not to forget the real meaning of Christmas, that it was God who was made flesh and dwelt among us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, James. Um, and if you guys, you guys saw he, uh, he had a book that he was showing you about uh, the religions and, and some of the different countercultures that are out there, that's back there on that table. Um, if you guys want to stop by, and James is going to stick around to talk. And, you know, this morning we didn't do a stand-up meet and greet because uh, we didn't have, uh, didn't know how the flow exactly was going to go. You know, everything always... Uh, I want to make sure to give James plenty of time to explain what's going on. So as, as you're leaving today, make sure to take uh, a chance to stand, meet and greet with each other, but also take time to, to talk to James. I'm sure you'd be more than will, uh, willing to answer any of your questions you have about that. I know um, many of you have Mormon friends. Many of you have uh, Jehovah Witness friends and, and even family members, and, and maybe you've been trying to figure out how exactly am I supposed to, to deal with that during the Christmas time. And uh, James is the perfect guy to ask. So I'm going to turn it over to, uh, to Jerome, and uh, we're going to stand and sing a few more songs. But as we, as we go, make sure to, uh, to stop by that table and talk to James as well. So I'm going to turn it over to Jerome.